0: Welcome to Eastern Carolina Farming. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. This program is all about agriculture across the state, but particularly here in the East. You can hear it Mondays at 6.30 in the morning, 6 p.m. at night, or listen to the podcast at ecfarming.com. Just a few moments, we'll get up with Smithfield VP of Renewables, Chief Development Officer for Monarch, same guy, Craig Westerby. He'll get us up to date on a gilt-to-gas operation or a pig-to-petroleum operation in Duplin County. I've intentionally made that as clear as slurry. We'll clear that up right after Jeff Turner and myself take a gander at this week's Ag Headlines. But first, some nice words about the folks that are paying the freight. Eastern Carolina Farming is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. I mentioned Jeff Turner. He is the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and joins us. Good Monday, Jeff. Hey, how are you, Dan? Good Monday to you. We're getting a regular cycle of Lorraine, rain, cool weather. We've had cool weather. I know some of the uh, western North Carolina growers were worried about blossoms and such as we uh, as we got that cool snap the last week and a half.
1: Yeah, last week we had a couple of really uh, cool mornings and a lot of frost on the ground. So hopefully we didn't get much damage from it.
0: Hey, Russia has agreed to a 60-day extension on that black sea Grain initiative with Ukraine, Turkey, and the United Nations. <laughs> they went back and looked at the last one. They said it was 120 days. What's up? So they are working on a consensus to the issue. But it looks as though that is going to continue on. One thing I read, though, is they're only inspecting single digits of <laughs> ships a day. And they, Two and a half. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Boy, that's putting them out, isn't it?
1: Yuri, we've got to speed up. <laughs> It's typical government work.
0: (laughs) Sheesh. The other thing that uh, crossed my nose the last uh, seven days or so, and that is the House passed a WOTUS rule resolution that is coming up for vote in the Senate. The White House has said, actually, if it makes the president's desk, he will veto it. This is kind of a public relations move. I don't think they can overcome a presidential veto, given the way the Senate is split up. And really, it's kind of meaningless because we're all waiting for the Supreme Court to rule on the one case that directly speaks to this. When the court rules, that'll be the end of it, I hope.
1: I hope they're ruling our favor when I say our farmer's favor because the current rule, you really can't plan around it. And it gives way too much control to folks that are outside of the farming atmosphere, so to speak.
0: There is a couple of things that they mentioned, though, that if the Supreme Court basically strikes this down, that takes us back to 2015, I think. And there were some things that were changed that would have to be changed back. That is, I think, actually, man-made ponds were post-2015, and it was kind of a nebulous area in the prior-to-2015 rule.
1: That's correct. Whatever the rule is, it's not going to be perfect. Right. But uh, what's being proposed today is just overreach.
0: Hey, I I had heard, I don't know if you read this headline, too, China's battling a new uh, surge of uh, African swine fever. Yeah, you
1: know, it's become more and more active in a lot of different places and it's so incumbent upon the United States and USDA to make sure, and and customs, by the way. I, I was walking through a customs office the other day, and they had, in fact, they had a picture of a pig, and it talked about African swine fever. And this is why we ask you the questions that we ask you, have you visited a farm? It's a a huge threat to our supply. I hope that somehow we can put this at bay and and we never see it in the United States.
0: Last Thursday, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack testified before both the House and Senate Ag Committees. I want to play you just a chunk of what uh, Secretary Vilsack said and get your response. Uh, The last two
2: years of farm income uh, were, in fact, from a net cash income perspective, a record set of years. Never before in the history of the country have we had farm net farm cash income at the level we've had the last couple of years. And as the chairwoman indicated, we anticipate and expect uh, above average uh, net cash farm income this year, notwithstanding many of the challenges that Senator Bozeman outlined uh, accurately. The challenge, however, is this. Nearly 50 percent of our farmers did not make any money at all in those record years. In fact, they lost money. Another almost 40 percent of our farmers made money, but the majority of money they made came from off-farm income. So in record years, nearly 90% of our producers either didn't make any money or did not make the majority of the money that they need to represent their families. Now, this is not a small versus large situation. This is a situation where 90% of our farmers need help. And I think if we are truly interested in making sure that they get help, while respecting the important role that large commercial-sized operations play in providing the productivity that this country needs and the world needs. And if we're truly concerned about the hollowing out, as Senator Bozeman has indicated, he is, and I believe he is, and I am too, of rural America, the important part of America, we have got to figure out how we can create more revenue streams for farmers, particularly those small and mid-sized producers. We've got to figure out ways in which we can extend beyond the traditional role of farmers benefiting from the sale of of crops and livestock to figure out additional ways in which that farmstead can generate profit so that they have multiple streams. Uh, This is not a new issue. Uh, I brought with me uh, the first report of the Commission of Agriculture that was published in 1863, the first year of the Department's history. In it, Commissioner Isaac Newton, different fellow, had an interesting preface to the 632-page report in which he talked about the importance of focusing on small, mid-sized, and large-scale farming operations.
0: That is Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack testifying before a joint meeting of the House and Senate Ag Committee talking about this year's Farm Bill. And Jeff, he talks about diversification, as we do, but also that farmers are not making a lot of money.
1: What he talks about is true. I mean, the top line last year was really good. Uh, the revenue number was outstanding, but the inflated expenses below that top line, when you get to the bottom line, is red. It's not black. It's a minus in front of it, or parentheses around it, and it's really hard for folks to understand. I think you know, whenever you always hear about, well, corn was eight dollars, or soybeans were fourteen or fifteen dollars, and boy, those farmers are really raking it in. The truth of the matter is, uh, they were raking it in. But they had a lot of bills to pay at inflated prices. So I'm glad to hear that fertilizer prices are coming down. Let's see what commodities do this coming year. At the end of the day, it's it's what's on the bottom line.
0: You know, you always give me the dickens about uh, electric vehicles. But, you know, I can ride around to my uh, Tesla on uh, anaerobic digester-generated electricity. And that's a good thing if that's what you wish. <laughs> Hey, anything i can do to put a little money in your pocket
1: (laughs) i love it you keep driving that ev and and i hope you are getting it from a generator that was powered by some natural gas that could have been renewable natural gas from a hog farm craig westerbeek is going to join us and craig's with smithfield foods slash monarch uh, which is their uh, renewable division craig and i go back a ways he started with the murphys in 1993 and he's seen about everything you can see in this industry with regard to the environmental piece and at least in my opinion he has a great approach to moving forward n- not only saving money on a farm a grower by covering his lagoon forming a, an anaerobic digester doesn't have to pump as much water as much of fluid on his farm which is good and you don't catch as much rainwater, which is good that's a money saver it's a new revenue stream and it we have some of these and and we've cashed checks so i know it's real
0: that's just ahead our program is brought to you in part by the north carolina department of agriculture and consumer services got to be nc north carolina's official business development and marketing program for agriculture more than agriculture it's got to be nc yeah. This is Talk 96 3 and 1037. I'm Dan Miller along with Jeff Turner. We're joined by Craig Westerbeek of Smithfield Foods. And we chatted now what probably is closer to almost two years ago, quite frankly, 18 months, yeah. two years yeah. ago, with you. At that time, there were a lot of things going on, a lot of alternative bioenergy things that Smithfield was getting into. And really, we're, were dipping your toe in the water some things to find out if they were economically feasible where has that gone in the intervening months?
3: Yeah, I think it's a great question. If you look at our operations in Missouri, for instance, or Utah and other places that we're, we've are we been doing this for some time, you know, the data suggests to us that we're right on target, both from a financial standpoint, from a performance standpoint of the digesters, et cetera. So, you know, we're really encouraged by what we've seen. Specific here to North Carolina, you know, at the time we last talked, we were you know, just starting construction on our first project here in North Carolina, referred to as BF Grady Road Project. And so various permitting delays and other delays that that have come about, I'm happy to report that we were able to uh, successfully inject gas from twine farms here in North Carolina in, in November of 2022. And so We've had a run. Now we don't have all the digesters constructed. Still waiting on permits for stu- some. Still, are some are in, in construction now uh, to finish out that project. But we have a good number of digesters that are producing gas, including some that Jeff is very familiar with at their farming operations. And I was just—I just happened to be reviewing some data this morning uh, on some of the digesters that started producing gas into the system in, in May or June of last year and extremely encouraged with the gas production we're getting. The gas we're injecting into the pipeline is meeting all specifications, actually exceeding that. The biogas is is a combination of methane and CO2 primarily, and the the amounts of each of those can vary from region to region. Quite frankly, the biogas that's being produced on digesters in North Carolina, what we're seeing now is probably the highest quality biogas in terms of percentage of Methane is of anywhere that we've, that we put digesters in over 70% methane, which indicates something that we probably knew for a long time from a climate standpoint and otherwise that you know, anaerobic lagoons, anaerobic digesters perform extremely well in the climate of Eastern North Carolina.
0: For those folks who did not listen to the first interview, give us the 60 second on from the lagoon anaerobic digesters to the gas in the pipeline.
3: In North Carolina, as most people probably know, we have a lot of farms, but they tend to be privately owned farms by family farmers that that may be smaller than what you see in some other parts of the country, but they are relatively close together. But it requires a, a bit of a different system to get that gas to market. On an individual basis, it would be very hard for a farmer to put in a digester and produce sellable gas with any economic viability because the cost of cleaning that biogas into actual sellable renewable natural gas is very high. And so the model here in North Carolina that we're trying to uh, perpetuate is having farms put digesters on their farms and produce biogas and get paid for that raw biogas at their farm, And then invest in the infrastructure to get that biogas to a central biogas cleaning facility and ultimately into an interconnect with the natural gas lines that run across the eastern part of North Carolina. And so that process would be the production of biogas at the farm. Then you have to take the moisture out of that gas because it's 100% relative humidity uh put it in an underground gathering line that is connected through miles of pipeline to a central gas upgrading facility where the CO2 and other constituents of the gas are removed, leaving basically pure methane. That's then transported by pipeline into a generally in East North Carolina Piedmont natural gas pipeline. Once it's in that pipeline, it's indistinguishable from the gas that's already in the pipeline that comes from geological sources. Uh, you could also separate the hydrogen, which you're hearing more and more about, if hydrogen is, is what you're after as a fuel source. Uh, and then finally, you could run it through a generator and power electric vehicle or anything else that needs electricity. So, you know, there's multiple things you can do with that gas once you get it to the form of renewable natural gas. In other words, the specifications of that gas mirror or better than the gas that's in the natural gas pipelines already.
1: First project's up and running. It's no secret. We have cashed checks on our farms, so it works. What's the next step?
3: The plan, Jeff, is just to keep multiplying this. We really believe in what we're doing from both a carbon reduction standpoint, renewable energy standpoint, farm sustainability standpoint. You've seen already that the economics look to be very viable for a farmer to add a digester. i realize realized we've got to give farmers confidence in that. Uh, over time, present performance to them that, that incent them to put in a digester on their farm. They get other benefits from that digestion other than the check they receive for their biogas, obviously, as you know. It's hard to call it a pilot project when it's 19 farms and potentially up to 250 to 70,000 decatherms of gas, uh, which is a substantial amount. This project should give everyone confidence that this business model will work I think Smithfield has stated publicly that we feel like 80% of the finishing farms and and some of the south farms in eastern North Carolina uh, could be producing renewable energy from manure over the next 10 years, and that was a couple years ago. So over the next eight years, we still think that's very possible. And I think everything we're seeing right now would indicate that uh, the business model is sound, uh, the technical model is sound, and we really look forward to just continuing to mo- to to put these projects on the ground that note, we actually have started on our second project here in North Carolina and, and really our third project here in North Carolina. Uh, second project being east of Warsaw. Uh, hopefully, when completed, 33 farms. The, the easements for the gathering line are largely in place for that. I also have a project up in the northeastern part of the state um, that we, we have begun to work on. So, you know, we, we look to continue, continue putting these projects on the ground and accelerate the pace of doing so
0: given what some of the uh, radical uh, animal rights folks say, we, we hide these farms, so they're not necessarily all grouped together. Is there a particular size that is is a single standalone farm where it just doesn't practically make sense, that it'll gear down? And then the second question I'll, I'll back right up with. Jeff and I were talking earlier in the program, Ag Secretary Vilsack was talking about different sources of income to the farm. Is it something that you do, USDA could step in and help out with?
3: Well, I tell you, they they actually have. I mean, you know, the the um, anaerobic digestion is not new. It's been around a long time. The difference today versus maybe ten years ago, twenty years ago. You know, our first digester that was that was put in was in the 90s, right? I mean, this is not new technology. We've always <laughs> understood you can make biogas from manure. The federal government, state governments have incented these type projects projects for years based on the environmental benefits of anaerobic digesters and, and the production of renewable energy. So USDA has a REAP program, R-E-A-P, that they just put more money in, less use for solar, less use for wind, uh, but it's also now used, it can be used by folks that want to put in biodigesters. And it, you know, it's a pretty significant grant program. There's also, also a loan component to that, that farmers can, uh, that farmers can try to take advantage of. And we do have some farmers that are putting applications for that now. You also have at the federal level the Inflation Reduction Act. It it does provide tax credits um, for the installation of biodigesters and, and the associated equipment to make renewable natural gas that producers and project developers can take advantage of. Also on the state level, you know, you asked about small farms. Um, You know, I think originally when we talked, we said, look, you know, there's some farms are just going to be too small. Um, Likely that threshold was at 3,500, 4,000 head. But working with the Division of Soil and Water Foundation, the uh, state legislature passed and the governor signed as part of the Farm Act, I believe, a cost-share program, a 25% cost-share program for smaller farmers that maybe don't have the economics without it to participate. So, cost-share matching program for farmers, for smaller farmers to participate and get their economics to where they need to be. So that's something that that we've always wanted to see is, you know, if we're going to run gathering lines, we, we hate to run past the farm and they not have the opportunity to participate. Uh, I think the answer to your question is since we've last talked uh, additional uh, incentives from state and federal government likely will allow farms of almost any size to participate,
0: which is exciting. Memory serves correct, Jeff. You threw money at this, as Barbara Mandrell said, before it was cool.
1: I'm afraid so. We a lot, we, we spent a lot of money years and years ago. The Murphys were very proactive in trying to understand how how might we change the way we treat waste. And so, We spent a lot of money in in a lot of places trying to figure out that how how do you make the digester work. And the shortcoming was always two two things. There were no natural gas lines. There were no credits in order to build those gas lines, like a a Piedmont, for instance. But because of what we're doing with credits and that sort of thing, now it becomes a viable operation. Where in the past at Watton, what we were trying to do uh, years ago was to collect the gas put it in a generator and put it back on the power grid and there was a stumbling block and that the only thing that the power company could pay us was their avoided cost which was minuscule as compared to what it really cost to do all this so it was not a viable business proposition just couldn't do it it wasn't for the lack of trying because we put a lot of money into the programs to try to figure it out but it it never it never worked you know you talked about the side benefits craig eastern north carolina here that we always hear a lot about lagoons we worry about hurricanes we talked about the benefits of a check if you don't mind take a minute and explain the difference between an aerobic and an anaerobic lagoon and how and what we're actually doing to the lagoon on the farm
3: and i'll be honest i have experience in a lot of states and i will say that the North Carolina regulatory program for swine farms particularly is, in my opinion, one of the most regulated in the country. The inspection process of farms, the, the record-keeping requirements, et cetera, um, You really do a good job of, of, um, of making sure that farmers, number one, understand how to properly manage their system, but number two, ensuring that they do. I'll start there. All, all farms in eastern North Carolina, almost all farms, use anaerobic flying farms use anaerobic lagoons already the, the only difference is they're open um structures and so what we're doing here is we're covering that and in effect capturing all the emissions that come from the breakdown of manure on the farm now people can have various um opinions as to you know odor levels around farms etc i happen to live in an area with a, a lot of KFOS in in my area and it's, it's not an issue for me or my family uh And never has been. I've chose to live there and and have lived there for over 20 years. But regardless of your opinion on that, I mean, there is no debate in this that what we're effectively doing is capturing the emissions that come from the breakdown of manure, taking them to a central location, treating those, removing any constituents that would be odorous or, or otherwise, methane as we're talking about, CO2. Uh, and, and converting that to, to a different form that has no odor or, or any, um, air emissions issues and making renewable fuel. That's what we're doing. So we're taking those emissions out of the areas around the farms. I think it's a benefit for everyone. You know, other benefits of the system include increased treatment. You know, we designed anaerobic lagoons originally in North Carolina. They, it wasn't just, uh, you know, scratched out on a piece of paper. <laughs> They're designed requirements by NRCS and DEQ and other agencies as to, you know, what size lagoon you need both for treatment of manure and storage. We're putting additional treatment there. We're increasing the treatment of the manure on the farm uh, and actually in so doing increasing the storage as well, which potentially could help in, in uh, chronic rainfall events, etc. Uh, and then finally, we're covering the lagoon and any rain that falls on that 80 mil hdp cover and you know that does separate the rainfall from the manure, and that's just clear rainwater that can be pumped off the the cover versus uh becoming part of the waste stream of the farm so
1: i would just simply say anyone listening out there if you got a hog farm i'm going to use an old fernie todd expression fernie todd was tobacco specialist at NC State, and he would go around after he had done his research throughout the year, and in the fall, he would make his presentations to grower meetings, and he would always finish up by saying, guys, if you'll do what I've told you, this will be dollars in your hip pocket, and what Craig has presented is the Fernie Todd expression, it's dollars in your hip pocket, it's a new revenue stream, it's highly important for us to diversify incomes and add to incomes on the farm, you can do it with these with this digester.
3: I'm glad to hear you say that, Jeff. I think swine producers are my neighbors, they're my friends, and, and I agree 100%. And At the end of the day, for Smithfield, uh, for our partners, for me, the goal has always been to try yeah. to allow farmers to participate in this with a return on investment to increase their ability to make money on the on the assets that they have. And I think, you know, you guys have started receiving checks for your gas, and and I think you're in a unique position, Jeff, to say the check's in the mail. It, it It's proven out. You know, we are getting paid for our biogas, and this is the real deal. So uh, I appreciate those comments, Jeff.
1: It sounds to me like uh, there's a great opportunity ahead and a great future ahead for Smithfield Foods and, certainly as contract grower partners uh with this new project that's that Craig's heading up and I am I'm, I'm really pleased and excited about farming future. Jeff anytime you get a paycheck you're excited. <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you I've said it before if anybody tells you it's not about the money they're lying. It's always it's about It's always the money. about the money.
0: <laughs> Thank you Craig, we appreciate it and uh you know we'll put you on the calendar yeah. to check up and see how you're doing next year at this time.
3: Absolutely. Look, I appreciate what you guys do. Bringing this type of news and entertainment in the ag sector, I think, is important. So thank you for what you do.
0: Coming up in just a moment, I'll look at last week's commodity numbers. Eastern Carolina Farming is on the air thanks to Ag Carolina Farm Credit, financing rural North Carolina for generations. Lending solutions for farms, land, and homes personalized for you. Ag Carolina Farm Credit, giving you room to grow. When you're out at one of the independent farm equipment dealers in eastern North Carolina, South Carolina, or southern Virginia, grab a copy of the Farmer's Connection. Farmer's Connection is a color newsprint magazine, it has new and used inventory at local dealers, like Premier Equipment Company in Aden, Beaufort, Enfield, and Rocky Mountain. Caps Trailers in Kinston, Benchmark Buildings and Irrigation in Murfreesboro, Canonsville, Pembroke, or check the auction schedules at folks like Jason Acock Auctioneering. Grab a copy of the March Farmer's Connection. By the way, April ought to be coming out real soon. Farmer's Connection, available at any independent North or South Carolina or Southern Virginia farm equipment dealer. Let's take a look at commodity markets. Cattle and feeder futures posted significant losses in early Friday trading, but staged sizable comebacks later in the day. Still with a weekly loss of $1.95, April feeder futures marked a weekly drop of $3. Outside influences, particularly those about equity markets and the economic outlook, reignited fears about sagging red meat demand last week. April lean hog futures rose to 79 dollars and a half after careening to a 17-month low during early trading. <laughs> That's trading, by the way. For the week, April hogs fell 7 dollars 575 cents. May cotton fell 133 points to 77.83 cents, marking the lowest close since November 1st, down 35 points of the week. Cotton extended lower for the third straight session as crude oil and equity weakness cast shadows over prices. May corn futures rose 17 cents of the week. Corn found a bid this week after extensive selling over the last month. May soybeans fell to the lowest close since December 22nd, down 30.5 cents on the week, led by meal weakness as rains are forecast for Argentina. Was a good week for winter wheat futures bowls as short covering and perceived bargain buying were featured. North Carolina's egg prices were steady on small, higher on the balance when compared to the prior week. Quoted average price for Thursday the sixteenth for small lot sales delivered carton grade A eggs was three hundred forty nine forty two for extra large, three hundred thirty five fifty five for large, three hundred four thirty six for medium, and one hundred ninety one for small eggs. Number two yellow shelled corn was mixed seven cents lower to ten cents higher when compared to the prior week. Prices ranged mostly six hundred eighty six to seven hundred twenty three at the feed mills and six hundred seventy one to seven hundred seventeen and three quarters at the elevators through Thursday, march the sixteenth. Number one yellow soybeans were twenty one and a half to thirty five cents lower and ranged fifteen thirty four to fifteen sixty eight at the processors, fourteen eighty nine to fifteen oh four at the elevators. Number 2 red winter wheat mixed 4 cents lower 29 cents higher range 620 to 688 at the elevators. Soybean meal FOB at processing plants range 549 to 55620 per ton for 46 half to 48% protein. New crop prices quoted for harvest delivery. Corn range 567 to 657 a half. Soybeans were 1304 to 1348 and wheat range 582 to 706. Eastern North Carolina 22-season sweet potatoes, 40-pound cartons, orange types, U.S. number ones were 14 to 17, petites were 10 to 13, and number twos were 9 to 11. That's this week's Eastern Carolina Farming. If you miss the show, play the podcast on demand at ecfarming.com. There you'll find links to our sponsors, Bag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to BNC. Eastern Carolina Farming is a production of Interbanks Media. If you like the show, tell your supplier to call Hank Hinton at 252-355-1037. For Jeff Turner and myself, Dan Miller, have a great week.